Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. I love to minister from a place of giving answers and not leaving questions to my hearers. Because the gospel is supposed to give answers. Because it's godly edification, the Bible says, and to faith. Our faith, like Timothy 1.5 says, should not be feigned. It should not be deceiving or deceived. To walk a life of faith but without the results of the faith that you so profess. That is part of the mandate that God has placed on my heart in the office that he has called me. And so I always will find myself walking this path with you as long as I'm given life and you are given the opportunity to tune in always in the mighty name of Jesus. And so, again, there's another aspect I want to give us. Somebody goes to a pastor, the man of God, pray for me. I'm dealing with certain spirits or demonic spirits or their family spirits or their generational spirits, whatever spirits that they're talking about, demons. And they say, and I have done everything I can in my power. I have prayed, apostle, I have fasted, I've given, I've done everything. This thing just doesn't seem to go away. The effects of this witchcraft don't seem to go away. The effects of the demonic attacks that I'm going through don't seem to go away. The effects of the oppression that I've gone through all these years don't seem to go away. And then they go through deliverance service after deliverance service. And they're being told every kind of demon in a time when Paul says, you'd rather have them wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. See, that's just the way of the spirit. Romans 16, 19. He says, for your obedience has come abroad upon all men. And because ye are obedient by the Spirit, he says, therefore, on your behalf, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. If a man sat under the teaching of Paul, they would hear more good than there was about evil. They would hear more about God and the mysteries concerning the person of God or Jesus Christ than they would hear about the demons and spirits that are attacking them. Why? Because their obedience has come abroad. Their obedience is seen. And so what is this obedience? What do we mean when we talk about obedience? When Paul gets into the church that has understood what it means to obey the truth, he finds that he does not need to invest time into that which is evil. He feels that I need to invest time in talking about demons, spirits, you know, generational curses and witchcraft and all these other things that we saw emphasize so much in some places of ministry and people yes see short fixes yes you see answers yes you see a few breakthroughs and a few miracles but when you look at the total sum of your life it is bitter when you look at the total sum of your life it is still under defeat you're still struggling with certain things that have not just come yesterday or last week these things have been around for some of you as long as you can remember some of you, it is repeating in your families and you think, oh, I think I need to go to a deliverance service and I need a certain anointed man of God. Listen, 
even the most anointed men of God in the world still have folk under their ministry that are not free. You see? And people think, oh, I think now the answer should be more prayer, more fasting, more doing this, more doing that. And then you go more deep into prayer, you go more deep into fasting, and you do all of that. And then you realize you're actually not free. You're actually more bound than people who don't connect or even relate with God. So the question, what's wrong? And God says, no, your obedience is not come through. Your obedience to the truth. So how then do I walk in the obedience that liberates? How then do I walk in the obedience? Firstly, you need the right doctrine. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So if what you are taught, if what you are submitting yourself over in prayer and in fasting for all the hours is not truth, you cannot have the results of the freedom that comes with truth. And consequently, you cannot be aligned to the true obedience of the truth because what you are aligning yourself into obedience is actually falsehood or deception. You see? If the Bible says that who saw the sun sets free is free indeed, Jesus Christ came to set and make you free. That's why you see Paul emphasizing Galatians 5 that we should stand therefore in the liberties wherewith Christ has made us free that we might not be entangled again into the yoke of bondage. Stand therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. You were set into liberty. You were set into liberty. And when you were set into liberty, he says now make sure you stand fast, steadfast. If you read that from the Amplified Version, it says in this freedom, Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. He says stand fast then and do not be hampered and held ensnared and submit, listen, underline that word, and submit again to a yoke of slavery because with the freedom Christ has set you free, if you are to go back into a yoke of bondage, you have to submit yourself under that yoke. And so you see, not anybody I know, born again, can deliberately submit themselves to a yoke of bondage or slavery. You see? But we submit ourselves to what we called truth in courts. And we think that we're walking the right way of truth. And consequently, we are ensnared, we are enslaved, and then we live a life of slavery. Some of you are enslaved financially. Some of you are enslaved in your marital destiny. Some of you are enslaved in your womb. Some of you are enslaved in your career. Some of you are enslaved in your business. Some of you are enslaved in your education. Some of you are enslaved in your ministries. Your personal ministries. Somebody can look at your ministry and see that this is enslaved. It's under a very heavy yoke. The brook is dried. So dried. And it's so much the application of human strength than it is the grace of God operating on a man's ministry. And so I want to give you answers. For me, when I read the book of Ephesians, right there, if you understand the book of Ephesians, you will never go through this again. You will never walk in bondage another day. You will never walk in perpetual sicknesses another day. Continuous poverty another day. Struggle and strife in any aspect of your ministry. If you understood the book of Ephesians, it would set you free. And today, I want to touch a few aspects of that book. Because for me, that was the beginning of the liberation or freedom that I had in Christ Jesus. We have read, of course, 
in Ephesians 1, one of my most favorite scriptures, 15, where he speaks of how he sees the love that they have expressed between each other and the faith with which they walk. And I've always emphasized this. Watch out for the portions of scripture that emphasize a continuous prayer of a thing, especially in the New Testament dispensation. You see, so when Paul says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. I cease not, I cease not, I cease not. As a continuous life of praying for the church, it cannot be as important as it is stressed by Paul that it was so expedient for the church to walk in these realities that he finds himself continuously praying without ceasing, with thanksgiving for the church. So I say, if Paul could continuously do that, how can you pray that prayer once? How can you pray that prayer twice? How can you pray that prayer three times? It's supposed to be a continuous prayer. When I got a hold of that thing, probably about 13 years ago, I started to pray it constantly on my life. And that's why I know some of these words off here. So he says he does not cease to give thanks, making mention of them in his prayers that the God of our Lord and Savior might give unto them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, Jesus Christ. That the eyes of your understanding being flooded with light, you will know what is the hope of your calling and what are the glorious riches of the inheritance of the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of power which is at work in you, the same that he wrought when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him, the Bible says, at the right hand in the heavenly places. Listen, I want you to emphasize verse 20. He wrote, he did that in Christ Jesus, and after that he sat him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Underline, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, the Bible says, oh, this Jesus which is set above. The Bible says he set far above, oh, all, not a few, not those in Uganda, not those in America, not those in Asia, not those in Europe. No, he has set him far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this eon, but also in that which is to come. Not only in this era and period of men, but also in that which is to come. Hallelujah, glory to God. And the Bible says, and he has put, now listen, all things. He has put all things. A few? A few? Some? Answer me. A few? No. The Bible says he has put all things under whose feet? Jesus. Who is above all principalities, all powers, all dominions, and every name that is not only named in this world, but in the world to come. So he's above all of that. Might. And God has placed all things under his feet. And he gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And the church is the what? The body. Somebody shout hallelujah. He gave him to be the head of the church. And the church is the body. Which is his body. The Bible says in 23. The church is his body. And it says that the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Somebody shout hallelujah. So Christ is the head of this body. Who is the fullness of God. The fullness of God in whom is the Christ. Hallelujah. And he filleth all 
Now, if we go in the second chapter, assuming that you know it's obvious that the Bible is not written in chapters and verses. The chapters and verses were just references. Right? Do you agree? The chapters and verses were just references. Now, let's act like there's no chapter two. We're just continuing the same conversation. And he continues to say, and he has quickened you who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, don't forget where we're coming from. He's praying that your eyes will see the riches that are available, the glorious riches, the exceeding greatness of power which is at work in you. That same power he used when he raised Christ from the dead and he set him at the right hand and he has set him above all principalities, all powers, all might and all dominion and every name that is named in this world but also in that world which is to come. And he has put all things under the one he has set above all things. You see? And in that very Christ, the fullness of God is. And he is the Christ that fills all things. The church is the body as he is the head. And he says, and you, believer, he hath quickened. Okay? Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now listen. Wherein time passed, before you got born again, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now, presently, worketh in the children of disobedience. You see? Now, he didn't count you among the disobedient. Your obedience has come abroad. It has not come because of what you're doing physically. It has come because of who you've believed. The Bible says we're sanctified unto obedience. You see that? We are sanctified unto obedience. Through the what? The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Not your works. Not your works. You are sanctified unto obedience. And the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ is not complete by your works. No. It is defined in the shedding of the blood of Christ. That sanctification begins from there. So, You live a life of obedience because you obey the primary truth, which is Christ. You see that? That doesn't mean that you are forever seen in the light of obedience if you turn from the reality of truth. See, for example, in the Bible says you are to live holy even as you are holy. You see that? You are born in true holiness. And you're holy before you even work out holiness. But still the Bible appeals to you to live a holy life. You see that? Even as ye are holy. So the works of holiness, the works of obedience, ought to be the confirmations of our affirmed experience in the revelation of that obedience in the person of Jesus Christ, as he has taught us. So there's an obedience that came when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It was a place of sanctification. When you say, I believe, you have obeyed the will of God concerning your life. In fact, if you read it in the Amplified, again, if we go verse 2, he says, of course, you were dead in sins and trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked, listen, habitually, and you were following the course and fashion of this world, and you were under, listen, the sway of the tendency of this present world. I'm going to come back to that a bit. Following the prince of the power of the air, ye were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly, 
works in the sons of disobedience, listen in brackets, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. They are obstinate to the will of God. And he says, which now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, he's not taken to the church in Ephesus. He sees that the church in Ephesus is not a child of disobedience. It's a child of obedience to truth because it has been sanctified, sprinkled with the blood of Christ, consecrated unto obedience. You see what I'm saying? Now, follow me very keenly. Let's go back to verse 2. I need to emphasize this. In your past life before you got born again, whether you know it or not, you were following the course of this world. The KJV called it the course of this world and fashion of this world. Now, the word course actually is eon. The eon of this cosmos. You see? The eon of this cosmos. The Greek word eon there means the era, the age. The era or the age of this present world. That means this present world has a certain age. It has a certain era. It has a certain way of life. Now, let me explain Eon a bit deeper. It has a certain world in which it functions. This present world has a certain world generically in which it functions for anybody or everybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Are you following what I'm saying? They all think the same way. They might act like they're different, but they're all the same. Why? Because the Bible has said they were following the course and fashion of this world and they were under the sway and tendency of this present age following, listen, the prince of the power of the air and they were obedient to and under the control of. Anybody who's not born again is obedient to a certain spirit and under the control of it, no matter how good they are. Some people are so good. But there's something in there. That is why, for example, I tell young girls, don't get married to non-believers. Why? Because no matter how good he is, He's still obedient and under the control of another thing. And one day if that thing comes out, it can take 10 years, it can take 20 years. You'd rather have a crazy fellow who's born again because you know that somehow you can align yourself in prayer and God will deal with him because originally the seed of the spirit is incorruptible. You're begotten. The Bible says we're begotten again. Not unto corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed which is the word of God that lives in the body forever. So yes, he might be having issues. Yes, he's born again, but he has his issues. Yes, but remember, if he's really born again, the original thing in there is incorruptible. It can still later find God. Now, it doesn't matter how good your boy is. If you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with God, it doesn't matter how good that woman is, if she does not have a relationship with God, he says, what fellowship has light with darkness, with righteousness and unrighteousness. The seed in there, it doesn't matter how long it will come out. And one day when it comes out, not if, when, unless it gets born again somewhere. Or she gets born again somewhere. But if she or he doesn't, when it comes out, it will come out. Now, let's continue here. So he says, before you got born again, you were obedient to and under the control of, listen, the demon. He didn't say a demon. He said the demon. Not a demon. The demon or the demon spirit that still constantly, this one doesn't stop, works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. So if a man is not born again, they are under that spirit. They are under that spirit. 
They can be so good, but it's still there. When you dig it, you find it. Now, God has separated you, the church, from that spirit. You know, the spirit of the world. You see? And it thrives in the eon of the world, in the edge of the world, in the world of this present world, the cosmos. You see? Now, he's trying to show you that the whole world, the cosmos, physical, trees, plants, what you see physically, all, if not born again, every man in the whole world, if not born again, has a similar world, spiritual, that they work in or live in. It's similar. It's the same. It's have the same eon. They have the same realm of time, space, reason, logic, application, destiny. It's all aligned. It's the same. They all end up the same. They might take different paths, but they all end up in the same place. They are all the same. Whether you're talking about the guy who is murdering 20 people in two weeks or who has killed hundreds of thousands of people, or you're talking about the guy who has never even killed a fly, they are the same. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They are all the same. Why? Because the Bible is clear. If you break one, you break all. You break all. If you've broken one law before God, you are disqualified and will suffer eternal judgment unless you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you offend in one, the Bible says you're guilty of all. So they're all in the same year. They're all in the same world spiritually. And he separated you. And he's saying, you are not under that spirit. Now let's go to verse 3. Among these, we as well, as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, uh our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature in that fallen world among those people, we were obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings, the Bible says, detected by our senses and dark imaginations. Our cravings, our appetites were all dictated by our senses and dark imaginations. So what you sensed and what you could imagine in your dark world is how you were led in your fallen life. Before, you see? And that is why he says, do not be like the Gentiles who, because of the vanity in their mind. That is Ephesians, again, the fourth chapter, when you go to the 17th verse. He says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk. That means it's possible to walk like a Gentile, yet you're born again. It's possible to walk like a Gentile, yet you're born again. And he continues to say, here's the challenge, that they have a vanity in their mind. Their mind is vain. And because their mind is vain, the Bible says their understanding is darkened. And their understanding is darkened, the Bible says, because of the ignorance that is in them. And that ignorance is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So the heart is blind, and so they walk on in ignorance. And because of that, like the Bible says, they are alienated from the life of God. They are separated from the life of God. They cannot live the God life. It's not possible. It can't. Even if they try, they can't. The carnal mind cannot receive neither design the things of the spirit, for they are spiritually designed. You see? So he says, don't walk like the Gentiles because they have a vanity in their mind. And because they have vanity in the mind, 
their understanding is darkened. And they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness that is in their heart. So they cannot live like God would want them to live. They cannot partake of the God life. And Paul says, don't be like them. Because their minds are dark. You see? So let's go back to Ephesians where we're reading. So while obeying the impulses of our flesh, Ephesians 2 verse 3, and thoughts of the mind, and it talks about our cravings, which were dictated by our senses and dark imaginations. You see? Because we were like the Gentiles. We were fallen. See? And he continues to say, and we were then by nature, listen, by nature, not action, even before the action, we were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. But that's a past thing. It's not present now. Who is following what I'm saying? But, verse 4, God so rich is he in his mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love by which he loved us, the Bible says, even when we were dead, even when you were dead, the Bible says, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, the Bible says he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. I want you to hear that. He brought us together and gave us a fellowship. He connected us and gave us a very, very, very distinctive fellowship in union, the Bible says, with Christ. And the Amplified continues to say, he gave us, oh, he gave us the very life of Christ himself. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. The same new life. The Bible says, the same new life which he quickened him. For the Bible says it is by grace and deserved favor and mercies that you are saved from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. And verse 6, he didn't only end there. Read, and he has raised us up together with who? With him, who? Jesus. And when he raised you together with Jesus, he made you sit down besides, far from, together, giving us joint sitting. Joint, you are with Christ, seated seated in the heavenly sphere the virtue of our being in Christ Jesus the anointed one so when you oh when you are seated with Christ remember the Christ you are seated with is far above he was set above all principality all power all might all dominion and every name, cancer, every name, HIV, every name, all poverty, every name. He was set above every name, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And he has gotten you, not only has he cleansed you by his blood and imputed righteousness on you because you believed, he has brought you together in fellowship and in oneness, union with Christ. And not only is that approximate one, it's not only defined by distances. It is defined by a deeper union. You are one 
You are one. You're not just near. You are now one. You are joined together. You are in him, him in you, seated. And the Bible says you have been seated together. You have the very life of Christ. And now you are meant to sit down together. You have a joint sitting with him in the heavenly sphere. So when you are seated in him, and as the Bible has said, you are above all principality. You are above all might. You are above all power. You are above all dominion. You are above everything. Any name mentioned in the world, you are above it. Seated in Christ Jesus. And the seventh verse says, And this did he, or he did this, that he might clearly demonstrate it. Clearly show, clearly demonstrate through the edges to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor, in his kindness and goodness and heart toward us in Christ. Now, if you go to the KJV, if you read the seventh verse, and I'm going to emphasize a lot some there. He says, he did all of that, the Bible says in the KJV, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. Now, the Greek word, now I, I was studying something about here that blew me. The Greek word for show is endeknumi. Endeknumi. And it means to point out that he will point out the exceeding riches. But also deeper than that, this word also means to prove whether by argument or action. God wants to prove whether by argument, if anybody argues with you, or if anybody requires an action. He wants to prove with any action, with any reason, with any argument that you're willing to bring on any table in the world, God is ready to show the exceeding riches of his grace toward you who believe him. He's ready. I said he's ready. He's ready. He's ready. He's ready to prove to the world that you are in the world, but you are not of the world. He's ready. He wants to show the proof that you don't just speak. Oh, I'm, I'm born again. I'm a new creation. No, he wants to give you the power to point it out. He wants to give you the power to show, to prove it by any action. That If any man argues that you are a seed of God, you have now the ability to prove it. So if you are seated above all principality, above all power, above all might, above all dominion, how can you be tormented by a devil? How can you be tormented by sickness for 20 years? How can you be poor? Because that belongs under you. Remember, the Jesus you're seated in, or together with, he is seated also. He's not standing. He's not anxious. The Bible speaks how the Lord said to my Lord. He tells him, sit until I make your enemies thy footstool. Until I make your adversaries your footstool. If Jesus is not standing up, but he is seated, it means he's in a position of a rested assurance of his positioning above anything below him. So if he is convinced about that, he is seated. He's not standing. He's not moving. He's not anxious. He's not sharaba. Oh, oh. No, no. He is seated, waiting 
for his enemies to be made his footstool. Do you know what it means? It means he sees where the devil begins from. And he sees that the end is going to be ugly. Because he has been defeated. And he waits to watch that defeat every day in your life. That defeat of the devil every day in your life. He is with you watching the devil being repeated in defeat. And it's beautiful because the eternal one has been done. So he's not in a place of rest, just resting. No, he is until. So the Christ can only stand up when there's a defeat for you. Without that, he's in a state continuously with you in rest. Fully assured of your victory. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's seated. Tell your neighbor he's seated. Until your enemies are made a footstool. With that consciousness, with that consciousness, how can you say that the devil has refused to leave me? How can how can you say that? How can that even happen? You'll ask me, Apostle, yes, I've understood that. So why do I go through this? Romans 12, verses 2, if you read the Amplified. He says, do not be conformed to this world, Ian. To the world, the people of the world are conformed to. Do not align yourself. Listen. And he says, do not be fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. Don't be conformed. And I'm going to explain how not to conform. Because the problem with many Christians is that you are struggling because you're conformed. Yes, all of this Christ has given and done for you, but you are conformed. He says, do not be fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. Listen. But be transformed, changed by the entire renewal, not partial. Entire renewal, not partial. I repeat, entire renewal of your mind. The Bible says, by its new ideals and its new attitudes. What happens? When you become born again, your ideals must change. Your attitudes about life must change. You cannot live the salvation life or the God life with a fallen ideal, with a fallen attitude, with a fallen process of idealization. How do you see the world from the time you became born again? So he says, what we intend to do is to refuse you to conform to how this world has been fashioned and adapt itself to its external superficial customs. But he asks you, allow a transformation, a total renewal of your mind. In other words, when you became born again, it's as though you were supposed to rub everything you knew about the world and loaded your head with a new way of seeing the world. Somebody shout amen. And he says, if you do that, you will prove... For yourselves. No, for yourselves. Not through another person's life. No, he says if you do that, you will prove for yourselves what is good and acceptable and perfect as of the will of God. Even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you, you will prove it for yourself. You will prove it for yourself. But your mind has to be renewed. Let me give an example. Now let me talk about money, wealth. 
in the world, you're born with nothing, right? And then if you're lucky, you're given an education. If you're not lucky, you're not educated. But then you go through life and then they teach you the way of life and then you probably go to school. So as you went to school, you go to your primary, secondary, university, you graduate, then you look for a job. And then from there, you get you know, promoted or you get another job. And then your income increases, one year, two years, three years. And then by late 20s into your early 30s, you probably buy yourself a property. Oh, congratulations. Hallelujah. And then you buy a car earlier or later, depending on where you are. But the majority, genetically, you are expected to be somewhere at a certain age in life. You see? Because that's how the world sees it. And you make this and then you build that. And then, you know, some of you are lucky. Things happen quicker. Some are slower. And they say, yeah. According to the standard of the world, they say, now you are successful. Oh, she started out with nothing. You say, this person started out with nothing. Now they have become rich. That's how the world gets into wealth. That's not how a believer gets into wealth. I don't know who I'm talking to. That's not how a believer becomes wealthy. The Bible says we know of the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For even though he was rich, but the Bible says, yet for your sakes, he became poor. Now, understand this. Why did he become poor? Because the fallen nature was poor. Who is understanding what I'm saying? The fallen nature was what? Poor. So he says, for your sakes which believe, he became poor that through his poverty, he did not only become on just one occasion of condition. No, he decided to exchange that, that through his poverty, what he became for a moment, he owned by nature for that period. The Bible says he became poor, that you through his poverty, now he owns the poverty, might be what? Now, when you become born again, what's the attitude you're supposed to have in the world concerning wealth? That you're rich. Is that subject to whether you have a job or you don't? Is that subject to whether you have a career running or a career not running? Is that subject to whether you were fired last week or you got a new contract the next day? Is that subject of whether you're living in your own house and driving a car or living in a rent or even being given a place to live? It is not subject to anything. Your attitude must be right. Somebody shout hallelujah. This is because you have allowed your mind to be renewed. If you understand that, regardless of what happens in your life, you will never see yourself poor another day. You will never confess yourself poor another day. You will never act poor another day, regardless of what is happening around you. What do poor people do? Beg. You stop begging. What do poor people do? They go on wailing, oh, I don't have this. They are so full of words of what they don't have. What do rich people do? They celebrate what they have. You see, the ideal is changing. The attitude is changing. Your way of meditation is changing. You know what happens? Why do we give our tithes? Because we are responding. We are responding to the reality of what we have in Christ. That is why no man rich in his mind and in his spirit cannot not give. It's not possible not to give. How can you not give? How can you not give your first fruits? How can you not give your tithes and all the other things that are required? Oh God, of you. If you are convinced that you're rich, do you know why you're not a giver? 
It is because you're not yet convinced. Your ideal is still of the fallen nature that makes you think that that 100,000, that 1 million, that 50,000 you're keeping is the one which shall help you in your survival mode, in your way of life. It's the one that will pay the rent. It's the one that will pay off the loan that you have. It's the one that will give you that extra fuel for that car. And so you find yourself eating the Lord's tithe because you think that without that tenth, without that first fruit, without that giving, without separating yourself from that, you will not survive in the world of men. You are fallen. You're still fallen in the world. You're still fallen in your mind. You're still fallen in your mind. So the word gives you the right ideal. The word gives you the right attitude. The word gives you the right thought life and thought process. And you find yourself being a giver even before you have much physically. But your heart and spirit is rich. Now there's a person, they don't give the tithes, they don't give your fast fruits, they're not obedient to the principles of God, they're not givers, they confess poverty every time, they think they're poor, their mindset is of a fallen nature, and then they ask, why is it that I have failed to walk out of poverty? There you go, I just answered you. Health. He says that he that knew no sin became sin, that we being dead unto sins might live unto righteousness. And he says, and by his stripes ye were healed. So when is your healing? Your healing took place at the cross. You see that? And then if 1 Peter 2.24 says, ye were healed. If it says, ye were healed. See? And then you feel pain or you're diagnosed with a disease. What's the first thing you say? Some people say, oh, pray for me, I am sick. Your mouth has already confessed a fallen life. And then you're asking me why you have failed to live in divine health. It's the reason. Your mindset is still fallen. Your body is agreeing with your fallen mindset. Even though whatever God has created and placed for you is still available, you'll not walk in that reality because your mind is not yet renewed to conform to the way, to the ideals and attitude of the new birth. You see? Oh, you know, I fought witchcraft for 20 years. I fought witchcraft for 30 years. Unfortunately, the Bible says that we know if there is God, there is only but one God. Not two, not three, not four. He says there is only one God. The rest are nothing. And the Bible says, unfortunately, this knowledge, he says, is not in all men. They don't know that there is only one God in the world. And the Father for our soul and by whom are all things. They don't know that there is only one God and the one they've believed. And it says, and because this knowledge is not in all men, for some, the Bible says, with the conscience of the idol, that witchcraft, the juju that is sent them, the Bible says, eat as a thing offered unto the idol. Respond to it as though it has the power to afflict them. And their conscience, the Bible says, being weak, is defiled. So their conscience is not defiled because it is defilable by nature, but it is weakened. It is weakened because of their ignorance. And when it is weakened because of their ignorance, even though it should have been strong by the awakening of truth, it is weakened by ignorance of false teaching. And because of that, they are defiled. And before you know that, the person who says, oh, you know, witchcraft is killing me. I've prayed, but witchcraft is pursuing me every year. You look at them and honestly, it's pursuing them every year. And they are right, but they're not true. They are right, but they're not true. Why? It's not that the witchcraft has the power. 
to kill you or frustrate you for 20 years. No. It's just that your conscience has been defiled because either of ignorance or false teaching. And so you are awakened to forbidden knowledge. A knowledge that comes from the deception of the devil. And your conscience is awakened to that idol, to that witchcraft. Because you still observe certain things that are following what you assume. And some of you go to funny prophets who, quote unquote, see what was done to you. And yes, we see it. I can see it. But when I'm aligned to truth, I know that regardless of what I see is done to you, you are not suffering that witchcraft because of what was done to you. You're suffering that witchcraft because your conscience was never aligned to truth to walk above and live above that witchcraft. So yes, we can see it. But when a prophet sees it, when a person praying for you sees it, what do they do? Some of them, instead of teaching people to be above these idols, they go with them and they start fighting things that were already defeated at the cross. And this knowledge, the Bible says, is not in all men. When you understand what I'm teaching, you will never suffer by the devil another day. You will never suffer by the devil another day. The Lord will work and act on your behalf speedily because you have understood the power in your mouth to decree a thing and it is established. The keys are given to you to bind on earth and it's bound in heaven, to loosen on the earth and it is loosened in heaven. Now, people say, oh yeah, yeah, I have understood it, but it's not working in your life. So why do you claim an understanding of something that is not working in your life? The truth is, you perhaps know it by your mind, but it's not yet conceived in your spirit and established in your conscience. If that truth, what I've just preached, sits in your conscience, it's established in your heart, in your understanding, and it sinks, you will never suffer defeat in any aspect. Or even better, God will avenge you speedily. He will not let you go through circumstances for weeks and months and days. No, it will be hours and things are turned. Hallelujah. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I pray for you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. That as the word of God comes into your spirit, your heart is lit to truth. And I decree that tonight a seed has been planted deeper and spread with roots in your heart concerning the victory that you have in God. The greatness of power that is at work within you which believed and that you are conforming to new ideals, new ways, new attitudes because now the word has given you another eon another way of seeing life, another world of living in this present world. And I decree and I declare that witchcraft, bondage, struggle, poverty, strife, whatever has been frustrating you, that sickness, I judge it tonight and I cast it to the root. I rebuke every spirit of indifference and ignorance. Every spirit of rebellion and blindness, 
I rebuke you from the root in the name of Jesus. And I decree and I declare that you are free and that you will continue to stand in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed and believed and all said, said, give the Lord a mighty hand of praise. Come on, clap for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So if you're there and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Just repeat these words after me. You say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and was raised for my glory. I believe that you're the Son of God that will soon come back for your church. If you have made that prayer, you're born again. Say amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Finero, make manifest.